Would you stand with me this morning and we'll read our text together, 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 5. Join me in unison as we read this text. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing and His kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Join me in prayer, please. Heavenly Father, as we open again this text this morning, we ask that You would cause Your Word to be at work in our hearts so that Your your gift to us of preaching is elevated in our minds. The purposes for preaching, the effect that You intend to produce through preaching, how to preach, faithfully, what faithful preaching is and looks like. Father, we pray that You would teach us these things, not just so that the leadership of our church may be able to teach more and preach more effectively, but so that each one of us, as members of Your church, may have a heart that is all the more eager to hear the preaching of the Word, to hear You speak to us through the preaching of Your Word, the faithful preaching of Your Word, that we would listen to it because it's Your voice and that we would take it to heart and submit ourselves to it and rejoice in it. And Father, that it would become something that is a distinctive of our church family as we seek by Your grace and by Your Spirit to more faithfully conform to the design that You have laid out for us in these epistles. Father, we, we do not want to hold on to anything or refuse anything that Your design would tell us to let go of or to accept. Father, we want You to shape us. We don't want anything about our church to be man-made, as it were. We want everything about the assembly, the ministry, the message of our local church to be God-designed, Christ-made, Spirit-empowered. We pray that You would do this not only for our good and our joy and our sanctification and the salvation of the lost, but for Your glory, for the glory of Christ. We thank You, Father, that You have, through the work of the Son, sent the Spirit to live in our hearts. May He illumine our minds. May He change us from the thinking on out to our living. We pray for His glory and His name. Amen. Please be seated. How critical to the purposes of God in the church and in the world is faithful preaching? That's a question to consider. And the reason why I want to to present that question is not only because our text deals with that, but also because the modern church has greatly reduced the value in in their minds and in the importance in their minds of this phenomenon, if you will, that that Paul calls preaching. That the Spirit empowered or inspired Paul to write this thing called preaching, this event, this divinely ordained event. So that's really the question I want to ask is, how important is that to the life of the church and to God's purposes in the world. Could, could faithful preaching be reduced or even eliminated from the activities of the body of Christ and, and that be okay? Something to think about. And it's certainly not true according to this text, and that's why I'm bringing up this question. And, and maybe you can say that at a confessional level, when you think about all that should be involved in the ministry of the church and the ministry of the church to the world, you would say, well, yes, preaching 
faithful preaching like Paul talks about here in 2 Timothy 4 is, is very important. It's absolutely critical. It's absolutely central to the purposes of God at work in the church and the world. Well, then take the question a little bit more personal. How important to you is the faithful preaching of God's Word? I want to read for you just a few texts that, by way of introduction, that will give us a sense of how incredibly important faithful preaching is to, to, the, to the work of God in the church and the world. And one of them Tom referred to this morning. Think about this, Romans 10, 14 and 17. How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And that is our word. That's the same word that Paul is using in 2 Timothy 4. So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the Word of Christ, or hearing, hearing the message of Christ, which is a result of preaching. So just from these couple of verses, you can see clearly that God has chosen the preached Word of Christ to literally be His instrument by which saving faith is imparted to people. That, that, just that thought ought to make us think, well, maybe... Maybe there's something that God does uniquely in this Word, in the, this event that He has in His New Testament called preaching. Maybe this is more than just someone getting up and explaining the Bible. Look at this Word. Romans 16.25 Now to Him who is able to strengthen you according to My Gospel and the what? The preaching of Jesus Christ. Strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. There's something about this couplet of the message of the gospel and the method of preaching that God has chosen to use to strengthen, spiritually strengthen His people. Here's another one. 1 Corinthians 1, 18, 23 and 24. For the word of the cross, there's the message that we preach, the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us are being saved. It is the power of God. We preach, there's the method, here's the message, we preach Christ crucified. And that is a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jew and Greeks, those who are called into salvation, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Paul, again, couples together the message of the cross with the method of faithful preaching. And he says this is at work in God's called people to save them by the power and the wisdom of God. Now that is something to think about. Here's another text. 1 Corinthians 2, 3-5. And I was with you, Paul says, in weakness and in fear and much trembling, and my speech and my message, there, there's the same word, the preached message, that word that we're talking about here, preaching, is actually built in here to the original language. You can't see it in the, in the English translation. My speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and power. And what is the effect? What was the effect of Paul's preached message? that their faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. God has chosen to use weak and fallible preachers to faithfully preach the Word so that through the preached Word, God's people experience a demonstration of the powerful work of the Spirit to the end that God's people will be stirred to rest their faith, not in the wisdom of men, but in what? The power of God the right message with a specially chosen message or method is what Paul's getting at here. And one more. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 and 2. Now I remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preach. There's the right message and there's the chosen method. The gospel that I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, 
and by which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word I preach to you. The word I preach to you. There's something special about what, something unique about what God is doing through the preached word of the gospel. God has chosen the preached gospel to be what his people receive, the place in which they stand, the part of the means by which they are saved, and that to which they are to hold fast to the end. Now, it's not accidental that the apostle continues to say that there is a special method by which this unique message is delivered to God's people. It's the gospel preached. God has chosen both the message and the means by which He saves and sanctifies His people. And both are vitally important through though the message is primary. The gospel and preaching are the message and the means. And it's no wonder then, it's no wonder then that Paul calls us to this particular exhortation. Preach the Word. This is something vitally important to the life of the body of Christ. And even, remember, Paul being on the cusp of his martyrdom says to Timothy, I charge you to preach the Word. This is one of the most clear and compelling texts for the church to explain what faithful preaching is. And, and that is the question that we've been seeking to answer in this text is, what is faithful preaching? Well, last week we looked at the first two points or the first two verses of, of this particular text. What is faithful preaching? We looked at the motive of faithful preaching, something that I aspire to, something I hope you aspire to for your church leadership and pray toward and, 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 and exemplify in some way, even in the community, as you witness the gospel of Jesus Christ to others? What is the motive that Paul lays out for faithful preaching? We have one, one audience, remember this from last week, the presence of God and of Jesus Christ. We're also to keep in mind the judgment of Christ, Jesus Christ, who is to judge the living and the dead, that is to motivate us to preach the gospel. And the appearing of Christ, the appearing of Christ in His kingdom, that He will come and reward and deliver those who faithfully preach the gospel. So we looked at the motive. And then secondly, last week, we looked at the method of faithful preaching. Remember that this is the central command of this text to us, to the church. Preach the word. And then all of the rest of the exhortations that follow describe how we are to preach the Word. We're to preach the Word with readiness. In season, out of season. When it's convenient, when it's inconvenient, we still preach the Word. When it's popular, when it's not popular, we're called to preach the Word. And we do so by reproving, by rebuking, exhortation. We do so patiently and through teaching. We also remember that specifically this word preaching takes into consideration the role of a herald who comes in with the authority of the king and the message of the king and he says, listen to what the king has to say. You must hear this and respond to it. There's formality. There's gravity. There's authority. It's done publicly. And so this morning... Let's look at these last three verses together to continue to consider this question, what is faithful preaching? And so number three, as we move into this new material, let's consider the moment of faithful preaching. The reason why I'm calling it the moment of faithful preaching is because the Apostle Paul says here in verse three, there's a time that is coming. There's a, a time where many people who have professed to preach the Word will not want to preach the Word anymore. There's a time that is coming when many who used to listen to preaching will no longer listen to faithful preaching. And Paul begins this next sentence with a for. I'm sure you've noticed. For the time is coming, which signals to us that he is introducing another important reason for us to continue preaching the Word. And what is that reason? the time that's coming. Paul commands Timothy to preach the Word because a time, a moment in our lifetime, in the seasons of history that come and go, 
there is a time that is sure to come. Notice how he says that. The time is coming. It's sure to come and certainly has come during Timothy's ministry already in some measure. The time is coming, Timothy. And, and I think we could say also fairly that, that Paul has already described this time. He begun to describe it already in chapter 3. Do you remember? Look back at chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. You'll recall these words, 2 Timothy 3, 1, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. And remember how he described those times. Those, these times are controlled and filled with people who love themselves rather than God. And therefore, the time is also filled with false teaching. We looked at that in some detail. So because this time is coming, and in some measure has already come upon Timothy, he must preach this word. He must preach the word. The temptation during such times that Paul has described to us is actually to abandon the preaching of the word. That's the temptation, because it's not popular. It's one of those out-of-season moments when we have to continually be ready to preach the Word. It's not popular. It's out of season. And so Paul says, actually, for that very reason, preach the Word. And I would say, and I think you could agree, that this time has also come upon us. As we describe it, you'll agree, I'm sure. And therefore, we too must preach the Word. But I think we could also say that the preaching of the Word has an important influence on times like these that Paul is about to describe a little bit more. It has an important influence. What purpose could the preaching of the Word, the faithful preaching of the Word, have for times like this? One, I think the preaching of the Word has a halting or slowing agent influence in the advancement of the time that will come and the expression of human depravity. God has made it that way. The faithful preaching of the truth is used by God to slow the expressions of human depravity that can fill such times. But also the preaching of the Word is corrective, isn't it? It corrects, it, it rebukes, it reproves. It, it, it has a rescuing influence and it's a converting agent in the midst of these times that will come. So it's incredibly important even in times like these, to preach the Word. The moment of faithful preaching is a unique time then that Paul describes, as you can see in your notes, when people will not endure sound doctrine. That's the first description of the time that's coming and is here. When people will not endure sound doctrine. Well, first, we already know what sound doctrine is, right? That is a great word to describe New Testament doctrine. It's sound. It's doctrine that is true. It's doctrine that gives life. That word sound has to do with it being healthy, life-giving. The true and the full gospel of salvation in Jesus Christ is sound doctrine. Sound doctrine is the doctrine that is Healthy and brings spiritual health to a local church. Brings spiritual health to us as individuals. Sound doctrine is the doctrine that was handed down by Christ through the apostles, written in the New Testament, delivered in the body of Christ. But the time that is coming and is here now is the time in which people will no longer endure sound doctrine. Think about those words. Just let's slow down and think about that. What does that mean? They won't endure it. They won't hold up under it. They won't sustain it. They won't bear it. They don't want to hear it. They don't want to put in the mental and spiritual effort that is required to listen to sound doctrine explained from God's Word, to understand it. They don't want to put in the mental, spiritual effort to receive it and apply it to their lives. In fact, they probably don't even have a desire to do so. The faithful preaching of sound doctrine has little to no appeal to them. In fact, it probably repels them. 
A time is coming when people will not endure sound doctrine. They leave the teaching of sound doctrine saying, that's not for me. I didn't come to church to get educated. I didn't come to church to be convicted, to be challenged in my mind and heart. That's not why I'm here. I come for another reason. You see what I mean? They won't endure sound doctrine. They can tell 15 minutes into the message that this is not what they came to hear. They didn't come to think through and wrestle with biblical concepts and truth into their own hearts. They, they only came to feel good or build their self-esteem or to, to get an emotional high or, or to have a good time with their friends. How many people come to church like that for the wrong reason? Does that kind of response sound familiar to you? As you've talked among those you love and know, how often have responses like this come into conversation? They won't endure sound doctrine. What does that response to sound doctrine imply about faithful preaching of sound doctrine? I think it implies that the preaching of sound doctrine isn't necessarily easy to hear, right? It's not easy to process. It's not necessarily easy to take into the heart or apply to one's life. The preaching of sound doctrine does require some spiritual preparation, some prayerful mental focus, and spiritual stamina that is motivated by holy spiritual desires given to a person by the Holy Spirit. Sometimes I'm amazed. I shouldn't be, should I? We should not be amazed at this, that there are so many people in the world that profess to be Christian, and they can sit for hours and hours and hours under classes online or college courses and so on, or they can sit down and watch television nearly endlessly, but then when it comes to an hour of sound doctrine, they don't bear up under it. Isn't that something? That, that, that's, there's something to consider here than more than what meets the eye. There's more than what is just on the surface. You see, because believers, here's the fact of the matter, believers who long to know God, that is their passion. I want to know God, right? And believers who long to know Christ and who their, their greatest desire is to be exposed to the glory of God in the Word of God. They want to understand the way of salvation more clearly. They want to be rid of their faulty thinking. They want to repent of sin. They want to be reproved. They want to be rebuked and corrected. They want to be exhorted toward Christ's likeness. This is, this is their growing, burning desire in their heart. They want to be trained in righteousness. They want to be equipped for every good work that God has prepared for them. They can't wait to find out the good works that God has for them. And they, they want all the equipment that they need to, to walk into that. They want to serve the Lord and the church and speak the gospel to the world. They want to bring glory to their Savior. It is people who have those holy desires who are willing and able and eager to endure sound doctrine because they long for that sound doctrine. They long to experience the powerful effect of sound doctrine upon their lives. It's like night and day. But this is a time when people will not endure sound doctrine. And I think this also implies that the preaching of sound doctrine has an effect that many people just do not want to experience. The preaching of sound doctrine will expose one's false ideas about God, doesn't it? About myself. Sound doctrine preached changes, it, it grates against you. This is normal. The Word of God is truth. And when it's rightly explained, that truth is going to hit us. And we are not naturally full of truth. And so there's going to be a painful effect. I'm going to be, exp 
my false ideas about God are going to be exposed. My false ideas about myself and what I think is the way of salvation and, and what I think is righteous and sinful, both in thinking and behavior, it's all going to be exposed. The preaching of sound doctrine will rebuke and reprove false doctrine and sinful living in a person's life. We know that's what Paul said it does. Reprove and rebuke, right? It's supposed to. But people do not want their false thinking to be exposed. And do you know why? Because to expose someone's false thinking about God and self and the way of salvation can cause that person to feel a real threat of loss. And not just earthly loss, but eternal loss. When you, when the Word of God confronts false thinking, it begins to set a person back on their heels and they think, have I had it wrong all this time? And there's some fear that creeps in there, right? And so then... The threat of loss can make them feel fearful. And that fear is then often followed by a self-protecting anger and a rejection of that truth. That's why people will not endure sound doctrine. And even though it's the very truth that is rejected that, that sets a person free, that's, that's the thing about it. The very thing that, that is feared in that moment and, and, and elicits from the sinful heart, the false thinking heart, a, a, a rejection a rejection is the very thing that can set them free and give them peace and joy and rest in Christ. And people do not want their sinful living to be exposed either because they love their sin. They do not want to feel guilty for anything that they're doing for their sin. They do not want to part with the momentary sensual pleasures that their sin often brings. It's too precious. And so again, they respond to the faithful preaching of sound doctrine with self-protecting anger and rejection of the truth. And for precisely this reason, what does Paul exhort us to do? Preach the Word. Because it will have a corrective, purifying, redemptive effect upon many who hear even in the season's when most will not endure it. You see, we don't preach the Word as the body of Christ only when people want to hear it or only when it's popular. We don't take a survey to see what people want to hear when they come to church. We don't do that. We, have, we already have been told by Christ what people are to hear. We preach the Word with sound doctrine when people want to hear it, when they don't. We preach the Word because Christ commands it, because God has chosen to work great redemptive good in the hearts and lives of human, sinful human beings just like us through the faithful preaching of sound doctrine. Now, during the time when people won't endure sound doctrine, what will they hear? What do they want to hear? And so Paul goes on to describe these times, and he says these are times when, second, people who have itching ears. Did anybody come today with an itching ear? Having itching ears will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. So letter B, these are times when people who have itching ears accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. This is just a profoundly grievous phrase and description. A time is coming and is here when people will only listen to teachers who are willing to teach them only what they want to hear. Regardless of whether or not it's true or false, sound or corrupt. There's something dreadfully wrong with that mindset and it is pervasive in our world. People only want to hear, only want to be taught what they want to be taught and want to hear. That defeats learning altogether. But more importantly, think of the progression of this. Think about the logical progression of this phrase. First, each and every sinner has a heart that's filled with passions, right? We all have this. 
We have passions in our hearts. And those passions are not naturally holy passions. Those passions are worldly passions. Strong, sensual desires. Those passions crave, and we've said this a hundred times, these passions are the passions that crave what feels good to me, to you, what looks good to us, and what builds our self-esteem. Those are the passions of the world. Second, or First Timothy, or First John, two fifteen to seventeen. And we pursue those passions even when, even when whatever looks good and feels good and builds our self-esteem isn't even true, or is even downright sinful. So, what if a person still wants to live by those worldly passions and at the same time wants to appear religious? and gather with a congregation for teaching. What then? What do they do? Well, if that hearer is going to remain comfortable living by worldly passions, and at the same time gather with a congregation for teaching, then they're going to have to find teachers who will teach in such a way that accommodate those passions rather than confront those passions. And that's exactly what Paul is saying. They accumulate for themselves teachers that accommodate, that suit, that fit their own worldly passions. That's exactly what folks in this time will do. They accumulate teachers, or they think of it this way, they fill their ears with the noise of many teachers who will go along with their own desires and worldly passions and agree to teach them things that tickle their ears. Ear-tickling teachers are teachers who make listeners feel good. That's their objective in what they teach. They scratch them where they itch. They tell them what they want to hear. They entertain them. They interest them with novelty. They make them laugh. They move their emotions. They tell them cute stories. They give them intriguing bits of information. But never say something that goes cross-grain to their worldly passions. That's an ear-tickling teacher. And that's what those who will not endure sound doctrine then accumulate to themselves. And you know what? We, I have to say, is a practical expression of this, if I can place this truth for you, this is one of the reasons why online preaching and churching can become very dangerous. Because then you can just listen to whoever meets your desires, your thoughts, your passions already. You don't ever have to go somewhere that may actually confront what's going on in your heart. Do you see what I mean? You can choose it all for yourself. God has done great good through ministry online, but there is also a great danger that comes with being able to pick whatever you want to hear. One commentator described these itchy hearers this way. They have made themselves the measure. Listen to this. This is just heartbreaking. They have made themselves the measure of who should teach them and what teaching is acceptable. God deliver us from being those kinds of hearers. Or another commentator. They do not listen first and then decide whether they have heard what start over. They do not first listen and then decide whether what they have heard is true. They first decide what they want to hear and then select teachers who will oblige by towing their line. That is the modern hearer. Does Paul's description of the itchy hearer sound familiar to you? And it is in a time when those kinds of hearers abound that we must preach the Word and teach sound doctrine. We need it, don't we? We need it. We need our hearts to be confronted with the truth so that we may be changed and Christ glorified among us. But then, when people insist, when people insist upon accumulating for themselves ear-scratching, passion-accommodating accommodating teachers, what will the result be? that the time will come when people turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. 
That's letter C, when people will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. This is the inevitable result of what you see before. When people pick their own teachers to accommodate their own passions, it's impossible for them to continue walking in the truth. And this phrase does not imply that these hearers, and this phrase does imply that these hearers did at one time listen to the truth. Because how could you turn away from something if you weren't first listening to it and walking in it and valuing it? If they didn't first have the truth, then they wouldn't be turning away from it at all. How incredibly heart-wrenching is this description of the modern hearer. These hearers got caught up in the spirit of the age and in the passions of their hearts rather than the truth of God's Word. And they began to pick their own teachers to suit their own passions. And finally, they turned their ears away from listening to truth. Isn't that a horrific phrase? Turned away from listening to the truth. I don't want to hear the truth. Here, witness the gospel to someone. They said, I don't want to hear that. They turned away from the preaching of God's word. They turned away from sound doctrine. They deserted scripture, rightly explained. They defected from the gospel. They left the truth of Jesus Christ. And of course, when one does that, then they turn off into, wander off into myths. It's what is made up. It's a human invention. Myths are human inventions. It's, it's not true. It's not real. It's not even historical. It's false. And so that's exactly why Paul says preach the word. This is the time for the faithful preaching of sound doctrine. We must not be ear-scratching part of the problem. But by God's grace, part of the word-preaching truth solution. As I listen, and I'm sure you, you, you could agree with me or um, relate with me on this, as I listen to some of the modern conversations that are, that are very popular now, such as, for example, the modern gender ideology and the transgender movement, for, for one example, I'm absolutely shocked and grieved by the passion with which people will shut out the truth. Have you noticed that? And listen only to the conversation that aligns with their own desires, no matter how foolish or fraudulent and destructive those conversations may be. That has been noted again and again for part of the reason that young people pursue that path. When they want to discover what's going on within themselves, what do they do? They listen to only people who are pursuing that path already. They just heap to themselves information that already causes their desires to unfold even more. It is an inestimably dangerous position to be in when an individual refuses to hear anything but what sits comfortably with their own present thoughts and desires and wishes. Just consider for a moment how many different critical life decisions that a posture like that can dangerously assert itself into. I don't want to hear what anybody else has to say about this occupational decision or a financial decision or a marital decision or a medical decision or an educational decision or even a parental decision. And, you, and, and the fact of the matter is, is all of those decisions pale in comparison to the criticality of spiritual eternal decisions. Right? What is true? What is false? What is the gospel? What is the message of salvation? Brothers and sisters in Christ, please, let us pray that God would give us grace to be delivered from being either passion-suiting hearers or ear-scratching speakers. We're called to preach the Word and to hear the Word preached. This is God's chosen means of evangelizing the lost and edifying the church and exalting the name of Christ. Let's not join the masses of professing, professing Christians who will not endure sound doctrine by God's grace. Finally this morning, what is faithful preaching? We need to see the man of faithful preaching. 
This is verse 5. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of evangelists, fulfill your ministry. This is the last question, really, that, that Paul would bring upon Timothy here in these five verses. What kind of man? What kind of person in an, in an individual sector is required to faithfully preach the Word? What will be necessary? Or let me ask it this way. What qualities must God form in a man so that he is able to faithfully preach the Word? First, sober-minded. What does that mean? It's to have a calm and collected mind that is able to, to be temperate and therefore spiritually watchful over yourself and over others. And therefore, it's a mind that is able to avoid being distracted or mentally intoxicated with anything that takes one away from being controlled by the Holy Spirit and devoted to one's spiritual duties. So here's some key words. Calm, collected in mind, temperate, watchful, avoiding being distracted, avoiding to be mentally preoccupied or intoxicated with anything that would pull you away from what God has for you. So here's a question. Do preachers ever get distracted from faithfully preaching the Word by various worldly passions? Yes, we do. Sadly, we do. We can get intoxicated with modern agendas rather than being filled with the Spirit to faithfully preach the Word. And that's why Paul calls Timothy and us to be sober-minded. The evil one will do everything in his limited power to distract God's people from preaching the Word because he knows what God intends to do through the preaching of the Word. And we must understand that distractions are inherently appealing, right? That's the point of them being distractions. They're attractive. Consider with me how many different distractions and mental intoxications, if you will, can come across the path of a preacher from the time that he enters his study to the time that he enters the pulpit. Think about that path. He's going to come into the study... And he's going to study the Word. And then all that time, and then he comes into the pulpit. How many distractions can come across his, his mind, his eye? What distractions may hold a preacher back from faithful preaching and or praying toward faithful preaching? How about this? Media. Media can distract and distract and distract and intoxicate. How hobbies, hobbies are good things that can take over lots of time, right? Or projects, politics, cultural agendas, church programs. Church programs can become so many and heavy that nobody has any time left to preach, right? Stories, entertainment, ministry ambitions. And again, I'm not saying that all of these things are wrong in and of themselves and never have a place. But the point is, is that it is so easy for these things to become a distraction from preaching the Word. And that's why a preacher must be sober-minded. Able to recognize when he's being distracted and to pull back from the distraction to regain that priority. Is there any time that, that a, a preacher of the Word, like Paul is describing here, shouldn't be sober-minded? Always. In all things. As long as we are fallen human beings existing in a fallen world, as long as, as the evil one is prowling around seeking whom we may devour, faithful preachers are called to be sober-minded. Neither the world nor the evil one wants those who hold the cure of the gospel to be giving out the cure to those who are dying in sin. Look how Peter connects these thoughts. Prepare your minds for action. Be what? Sober-minded. 
set your hope fully on the revelation that is to be brought to you at the revel- or the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, don't be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Don't be intoxicated by these passions. Be holy, be set apart, sober-minded. The end of all things is at hand. Be self-controlled. And here's our word again. Sober-minded for the sake of prayer. There's nothing more straining on the exercise of being sober-minded than prayer. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Why? You have an adversary who prowls around like a roaring lion. Resist him. Therefore, by God's grace, we're to be sober-minded. Not only that, but Paul says to endure affliction, endure suffering. I'm going to tell you something that is inevitably true. Every faithful preacher of the Word will suffer in some way, be persecuted on some level, experience some kind of affliction without fail. Because every faithful preacher is doing exactly what the world hates the most and what the evil one hates the most. And what is that? Faithful preachers speak the truth of Christ and seek to live in the love of Christ. You would think that Christ-like love would be the most attractive thing to the world. And in one sense it is. (laughs) But on the other sense, who was more loving than Christ? Who was more hated than Christ? Remember what Jesus said, the reason the world hated him? John 15, verse 20 to 24. Remember the word that I said to you? A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. What's the opposite of being persecuted? Jesus says, if they kept my word, they'll keep yours also. Your word as a preacher is either kept or you're persecuted. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would have not been guilty of sin. What does that imply about Jesus' words? It exposes human sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I, had not, if I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin, but now they have seen and hated both me and my Father. Jesus came in humility, worked in love, spoke the truth more purely and powerfully than anyone else, and the world hated Him more than it hated anyone else. So as a faithful preacher, if you will come to the world in humility, work in love, and speak the truth, they will hate you just as they hated Jesus, and for the same reasons. This is invariably true. And that's why Paul exhorts us to endure hardship, endure suffering. Keep on preaching the word, though you are experiencing great affliction. And Paul isn't isn't saying this without experiencing himself. You look at 2 Corinthians, you see many, many of the things that he suffered. Like many faithful preachers down through the century, Paul experienced the afflictions. Let me just give them some of them to you. And I picked some of these because they're going to be a little closer to home than some of the other ones. Some of the lists that Paul gives, you're like, I've I've never been stoned. But think about some of these. Sleeplessness. You ever endured sleeplessness because of a really difficult conversation you had around the truth? Or how about this? Loneliness, hunger, false accusation. Paul talks about these things. False accusation will happen to you if you speak the truth like Christ did. He got false accusation. Physical weaknesses, Paul had. Demonic buffeting, Paul had. And then all manner of physical and mental abuse for the sake of Christ. Now that sounds a little closer to home, doesn't it? And yet Paul understood why he was suffering and what God had purposed to do through the faithful proclamation of the Word. And so he learned to endure it and even rejoice in it for the sake of Christ and His church. He said, I, am, I now rejoice in my suffering for your sake. Colossians 1.24 
So let us take heart in the words of Paul. You can read them, Colossians 1, 24 through 29. Let's take heart in words like this. Preach the word. Endure suffering by the grace of God. And God will strengthen us and use us for the salvation of the elect and the glory of Christ. Third, do the work of an evangelist. The evangelist, just quickly here, there's only two other times that this word appears in the New Testament. I want you to understand what this is. Acts 21.8, on the next day we departed and came to Caesarea and we entered the house of Philip, the evangelist, who is one of the seven, and stayed with them. So Philip was an evangelist. You remember his preaching the gospel to whom? The Ethiopian eunuch in Acts 8. And it says Philip was one of the seven. What does that mean? Remember back to Acts 6 where the apostles appointed seven pre-deacons, if you will, to serve the church. And at one of them, maybe even two of these guys were evangelists. Like Stephen in Acts 7. Stephen preached the gospel. He was one of the seven. Philip in Acts 8. Listen to this verse. Here's the other occurrence. Ephesians 4.11, And he gave some apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the shepherds and teachers. So what can we conclude about these New Testament evangelists? Some deacons or pre-deacons are evangelists. Simple observation, right? Some deacons, in, in this case are evangelists. They don't have to be deacons, probably. Evangelists also, we note from Ephesians 4, are a gift from Christ to His church. They're a gift. And He gave some apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and so on. And evangelists, apparently, as you look at Acts 8 or Acts 7, are men uniquely gifted by Christ to preach the gospel to unbelievers. And the effect is profound upon those who hear. That's what you observe. In one case with Stephen, he was so effective in preaching the gospel that those who heard him stoned him to death. That's effective, right? Or in the other case, Acts 8, this Ethiopian eunuch heard the gospel preached from Philip, and he's like, I'm ready to get baptized now, right? That's effective evangelism. So this is good. Now, Paul is calling Timothy to do that work. Not saying that Timothy should switch roles. We're not saying that that Timothy, being an elder or a preacher, or a pastor, I mean, should switch to this other role of being evangelist. He's simply exhorting Timothy to make sure he includes the evangelist's work in his schedule and in his sermons in whatever capacity he can in Ephesus. And that work is the evangelist's task of proclaiming the gospel to unbelievers and calling them to repentance and faith in Christ. So how do we bring that into the life of a faithful preacher today? Just like Paul is saying, do the work of an evangelist as you preach the word. Well, the faithful preacher must preach the gospel to his congregation because there will always be unbelievers mixed in with the believers. Jesus said this. The wheat and the tares are together. Preach the gospel to his congregation because believers need to be equipped to preach the gospel as well. Preach the gospel because through the powerful gospel preaching, believers' love for Christ will flourish and a believer's life will grow. But also, I think, to preach the gospel to his community. A faithful preacher should preach the gospel to the community because this is the work to which God calls every faithful believer. Preacher or parishioner, if you want to say that. We as the church exist as the pillar and buttress of the truth. That is to hold fast the truth and to hold it high for all to hear and see. And preachers are to get out there and do that work as well. Finally, Paul says, fulfill your ministry. This simply means that faithful preachers of the word must persevere until the task is accomplished. Until God calls home or to Christ returns. What task? Is it just a sermon? No, no, think about this. 
fulfill your ministry, Timothy, as a faithful preacher. This final exhortation from Paul sweeps into itself all that Paul has exhorted Timothy already. Everything from chapter 1, verse 1, maybe even book 1, right? 1 Timothy, book 1, chapter 1, verse 1. It embraces all of the imperatives that Paul has given to Timothy regarding a biblical Christ-honoring ministry in Ephesus, and it calls him to fully carry out the charge. That word's come up in these letters a lot. Carry out the charge. I give you this charge. Completely accomplish the mission. What do you mean? You've got to see the task that's laid upon Timothy and every faithful preacher. The body of Christ changes and conforms to the design of Christ in everything. How? Through faithful preaching. That's how hearts are changed. That's how people are changed. Think about all of the tasks, all of the ministry design that has been laid out for us by the Holy Spirit in these letters. From Paul to Timothy. These letters include content about the gospel itself, getting the message right about prayer in the body of Christ, about men's roles and women's roles and how to care for widows and how to, how to affirm elders and deacons and how to relate with one another, how to work in the world in a way that honors Christ, how to, how to be content and deal with money, how to endure suffering and so on and so on and so on throughout these letters so that we can be the, the church of the living God. And the faithful preachers to keep in mind Christ's design and Christ's will for His church in all these things, and to keep on faithfully preaching the Word until the likeness of Christ's design is reflected in Himself and in the local church. That's the ministry. So Paul says to Timothy, fulfill your ministry. That's what, Paul, that's what Christ calls us to as well. We preach God's Word to God's people until God's people reflect the likeness of Christ and Christ's design for them as they, as they serve and as they live. For His glory. And that's why we're to be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of evangelist, and fulfill the ministry. John Calvin wrote this, The more determined men become to despise the teaching of Christ, the more zealous should godly ministers be to assert it, and the more strenuous their efforts to persevere it, or to preserve it, entire, and more than that, by their diligence to ward off Satan's attacks. Paul's exhortation is clear. We're called to preach the Word. As we close this morning, I have a question that I hope will finally, that it will stir us deeply. Here's the question. Who has given to us the ministry of faithful preaching. Who has given that to us? Isn't this a gift from the crucified, buried, risen, ascending, and reigning Christ? He's given this gift to His church called faithful preaching. He invented this. Listen, Ephesians 4, 7-11 but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And therefore it says, when He ascended on high, He led a host of captives, and He gave gifts to men. In saying He ascended, what does it mean that He had also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who is also ascended far above all the heavens, that He might fill all things. And He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers. Follow this train of thought. Because Christ descended, in other words, He lived that righteous life. He suffered in our place, died on the cross, was buried, giving evidence to a real death. And then He was also then raised and ascended and seated at the right hand of His Father. He was given the name of Lord. He is given to be the head of the church for whom He died. And from that position as King of kings and Lord of lords and head of His church, 
He has sent His Spirit to dwell in every believer, every member of His true church. And through the sending and powerful indwelling of His Spirit, though He is physically removed from us, though Christ isn't here physically present with us, He is present with us spiritually and lovingly. He is with us today. Lovingly. Spiritually present. And and He has given to us, here this morning, many spiritual gifts. In fact, every believer in this room has spiritual gifts. That is given as a gift from the crucified, buried, risen, and reigning Lord to you for the good of His church. And He transforms us into His image, preparing us for His presence And you know what else He's given to us? Even though He is physically distanced from us, He speaks to us. Did you know that Jesus speaks to you? Think of what this gift is. You ask, how does He speak to us? Well, He speaks to us as we individually read His written Word and as His Spirit illumines His Word to our minds and applies His Word to our hearts and lives. But listen to me, dear ones. He, Jesus, uniquely speaks to us corporately through the faithful preaching of the Word, through men whom He has given to the body of Christ. Think about the men that we just read about. Apostles and prophets and evangelists, the shepherds and teachers. What do those men do primarily? They preach. That's what they did. That's what they came to do. The Apostle Paul said this over and over again. He said, I didn't come to baptize. I came to what? Preach the Gospel. Though presently physically removed from His gathered church, Jesus speaks to His gathered church and works powerfully in His church through the faithful preaching of the Word in a way that He doesn't speak or work anywhere else. Now that's profound. That is sobering. That is, that is a weight and a joy at the same time. Remember what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.20? We are ambassadors for Christ. God making His appeal through us. Wow. God speaking, appealing to His people through the words of the Apostle. The living Christ speaks to us through faithful preaching. And what an amazing gift of grace from our ascended King Jesus. And so let us love Him for this. And let us listen to Him eagerly and attentively. And the weight of this is is that we would be committed to the faithful preaching of His Word because if, if we don't faithfully preach His Word, then that's not the channel through which He speaks. But if we will, by His grace, He he gives the gifts and gives the men to do so, He will speak to us through the faithful preaching of His Word. And before we pray, let me ask you, dear friend, if you're here this morning and you do not know that you are born again, have you heard the Gospel preached? Not just in word, but in spirit and in power with full conviction. Paul wrote the gospel and he said, 1 Corinthians 15, 3-4, he said, I delivered to you as of first importance what I received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scripture, that He was buried and then He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. That's the gospel. Jesus came, the Son of God, as a man, lived a perfect life, died on the cross in the place of sinners, was buried to prove His death, and then rose to give new life. Have you received that gospel message? You say, why do I need it? Because you, like me, like all of us, are sinful. We have rebelled against God. We are like sheep, Isaiah writes, going astray our own way. And and because of that sin, we deserve God's sentence of eternal death. God said, the soul that sins will die. 
The wages of sin is death. We have turned our own way. But God is also merciful in His justice. Because He says there that God has laid on Christ on the cross the sins of us all. And so Christ took the sentence of death that we deserve. Christ took our guilt. And if we will trust Him to be our Savior from that punishment of sin, from the wrath of God that is justly due us, if we will trust in Him and His work, He will remove our guilt, He will take our punishment, and He will give us His righteousness so that we can stand perfectly right before God and be welcomed into everlasting life and given the gift of forgiveness. That's the gospel. Now, have you responded to that message? Have you responded to it? How do I respond to it? You respond to it first by repentance. That means you have to be willing to let go of man-made religion. You cannot save yourself. You cannot be good enough for God. You cannot participate with God for your own salvation. Not any human effort or work will, will be accepted because Christ has done it all. He is your righteousness. He is your atonement. He is your life. He is your forgiveness. Rest in Him. Receive Him. Rest on His work. And turn. be willing to turn away from your passions, just like we all have, your passions for, for worldly desire and, your, and sin. Turn away from it. The very thing that earns God's justice on your life, you must begin to turn from it. The very thing that's killing you, you must begin to turn from it. No matter how tight the grip that sin is upon your affections, the miracle of the new birth is that when you rest in Christ and receive Him, He will change your heart and cause you to love what is right and begin to hate your own sin. Have you responded to the gospel like that? To turn from self-righteousness, to turn from your sin, and also then to just totally throw yourself upon the mercy of Christ, upon His saving work. God promises to you that if you will, in your heart, respond to the gospel like that, He will save you. He will give you Christ's righteousness. He will deliver you from eternal death and welcome you into His presence forever. That's the promise of the gospel. God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever, what? believes in Him, depends upon Christ, will not perish, but have everlasting life. So I urge you this morning, if you have not yet responded to the gospel, to do so. In fact, Christ commands you to do so, to repent, turn, and to trust in His finished work. If you'd like to ask more about that, want to know more about that, please come and talk with me. I'd love to share more with you so that your heart can be convinced of the truth and you can enjoy salvation in Jesus Christ like we have. We want that for you. Let's all stand together and we'll close our service in prayer. Heavenly Father, you are so kind to us to give us the gospel. And, and you are so kind to us to keep speaking to us through the preached word, through the illumined word. Give us the hearts to be faithful hearers and faithful speakers. For your glory we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen.